Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining us today. The 4th of July is Saturday when we pause to celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the document that sparked this nation's official separation from England and the beginning of a country that would grow to dominate the globe in fewer than two centuries. We're going to spend the whole hour today talking about a single question. What is your America? How do you define this country and its ideals, and how do you feel about it, where it's headed, where it's been, what it's like for you and for your children right now? But first, I want to talk a little bit about what America means to me 239 years after the Declaration was signed. In some ways, I can't help but think the worst of America is really on display today in a way that even the founders who signed the Declaration would have had trouble predicting. Think of the systematic burning of Southern black churches, coupled with the increasing strife over relationships between police and African-American communities and the ongoing burgeoning conflict over the sense of growing inequality in many parts of the country. It all makes it seem as though progress, one of the most inherently American expectations, is horribly and cynically elusive right now. Of course, the country's racial divisions were always baked into the infrastructure of the Constitution and other founding documents. But even the people who wrote them seemed to believe we would one day reckon with them and probably overcome. Would they marvel at what's going on today? Would they feel a sense of failure or shame? Would the infernal fight over an insurrectionist flag flying over the grounds of a state capitol bewilder the hope they had for this nation when it began? I think the answer is both yes and no. For as much as we remain stuck in our old divisions and dogged by inequalities that do none of us proud, this country is perhaps the one place on the planet where progress and change are inevitable and equally baked into the political and cultural infrastructure. That's because more than anything else, America is an idea. It's not the product of religious fervor or ethnic clamoring for a safe place to call home. It's a creation fueled by words that express the very essence of what liberty and equality mean. 1776 was not just about starting a war. It was about building an ideal, one that we continue to build today even as we struggle 239 years later to make the words of the Declaration mean the same thing for everyone. I've been telling a story about American progress for a while now that I think is really resonant today. My father was born in Mississippi in 1933. He grew up and went on to serve his country and Korea. And then he came home to a state where he could not vote until he was in his mid-30s. His story follows near lockstep with America's frustrating narrative through the 20th century. The struggle to give full life to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution was still raging nearly 100 years after the Civil War. But here's another truth. My son and daughter, my father's grandchildren, the first president they've been aware of is a black man whose skin color is an awful lot like theirs. For them, the whole idea of president is bound up in Barack Obama. That's two generations from my father to my children in which the reality of the American experience flipped tremendously and surged toward equality. It doesn't mean the fight is over. It doesn't mean the problems are solved. It just means we live in a country where incredible progress in a relatively short period of time is more possible than it is just about anywhere else on the planet. 
Think on another front of how quickly we have gone from gay people being able to be arrested for having sex to the legalization of gay marriage nationwide. It's just over a decade. And this 4th of July, thousands and thousands of gay couples have a solemn new reason to believe in and fight for that idea of America. My America, it's about both the unfulfilled promises that define her and the wonderfully democratic infrastructure that allows us to make her better. We should never lose sight of either of those dynamics. Now, before we get started, let's hear a little more about what your America is. My name is Terrence West. I'm from the east side of Detroit. And my America is one where everyone has an opportunity. Everyone has a chance to succeed. Um, there's a chance to have social mobility. There's a chance to have a, f a free education, uh, a quality free education. And there's a chance to um, move up without the burden of debt. So my, my America doesn't keep us enslaved to debt because of how far we want to reach and how far we want to go in our education. My name is Joe. I live in Brighton, Michigan. I think my America has turned into a morally decay area. I think that we need less liberals to uh, tell us that gay marriage is okay, that, you know, we, I just, I just think that we need, uh, we need big changes. I think that our government's out of control. I think that they're taking away the rights of the people. I think that we're losing our constitution. I think that we're losing our amendments. I, I think that it needs help and uh, I'd like to see a change. My name is Alan from Ann Arbor, Michigan and my thoughts about America are it's a great strong country with a lot to look forward to if we can only learn to live together and love one another like we all should. Uh, my name is Sharanya. Uh, I actually am from India and I've been here for just probably just less than under a year and I currently stay in Detroit. Um, let's see, what's my America? From what I've seen in movies and stuff, it's really beautiful, it's clean, it's awesome. People are friendly here, definitely. Apart from that, the culture, the diversity, it's really amazing. And the experience I've had here so far, it's great. And education-wise, it's also been a good experience, obviously from what I've experienced in India. And uh, apart from that, yeah, it's been a good um, journey so far. So a wide range of opinions there around Metro Detroit about what America is and what it promises. I want to thank associate producers Veronica Walrad and Pam Conley for assembling that for us. I also want to now welcome to the show two people who are going to help us talk about what is America. And of course, we want you to call in and tell us what you think America is. What do you think about the state of the country? Is it still about opportunity? Is opportunity still possible? Or are we off track? Are we headed in the wrong direction? 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313 577-1019. I want to welcome Mark Krumen, who's the director of the Center for the Study of Citizenship and Professor of History at Wayne State University, and Louise Jerzerski, who is an associate professor of social relations and policy and comparative cultures and politics at James Madison College in Michigan State at Michigan State University. Welcome to Detroit Today, both of you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Same here, Stephen. Thanks so much. Sure. Uh, Louise, I want to start with 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 you. Um, so much of of I think people's I idea of America is bound up 
in economic opportunity. In other words, uh, there are people who come to this country because they feel like there's more opportunity here than there is in other places. And people here are born with an expectation that there is going to be opportunity for them. And that also sort of defines the contours of our fears about this country. I think people tend to, to think badly about America or worry about it when they fear that that opportunity is not there. Talk about where we are right now with that in this in this country. What you hear from people and what what you see in your studies about that economic opportunity and how bound up the idea of America is in it. Let me state state first of all that I think Americans, since its founding, at least white Americans, have been really optimistic about their futures in the United States. I think we're an optimistic country, and since the civil rights movement, I think that. Uh, reaches across the board. We're really optimistic. Asians, Latin Americans, uh, Latinos rather, uh, African Americans, whites, all are optimistic about the, their future in general. And they also believe in meritocracy. Right. We believe that you can have an education, get a chance at a job, and you'll be fine. But um, I think people have had lots of anxieties really going back since the 1980s, and especially over the last decade, really worrying about stability of their economic situation, increasing debt, realizing they don't have retirement, realizing they can't uh, save enough for kids' college education. So people are optimistic. They believe in the meritocracy, but their immediate conditions, they're concerned. They're really concerned. There's lots of anxiety out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark, that that idea of uh, belonging and striving and and being part of uh, American opportunity. That also defines the cultural contours of this country. It's not just economic. Uh, uh, there are there are parts of who we are as Americans that are defined by that that aspirational quality. I should say. No, absolutely. And you referred in your opening remarks to the Declaration of Independence, and while. Thomas Jefferson was drawing upon Enlightenment ideas when he talked about uh, all men uh, being created equal, uh, and at the same time had uh, no real difficulty uh, continuing to own many slaves until his death. Right. Nevertheless, he he set a he didn't say all white men are created equal, and that in that phrase alone, he generated a that aspirational belief of of belonging and of human human equality. Right. Uh, even as I said in the opening, I, I, I've read enough about not just Jefferson, but some of the other founders to know that they understood the limitations of what they were saying. They understood the conflict between this idea of liberty and the inequality, as I said, that was baked into uh, into life, into American life at that point, and and then was inculcated, of course, into the into the Constitution. Do you think they would be surprised uh, to to know that that 239 years later we are still struggling with some of those central questions? That it's still with us in a very present way. Uh, I think the ideas of uh, of racial inequality uh, were evident alongside the beginnings of ideas of racial equality. Yes. 
and that kind of growing sense of division among the races, you can see it articulated during the Revolutionary Era. And so I think that they'd be, they have been surprised, but pleased that slavery would have ended if they resided in the North <laughs> or during that time. Right. But they didn't move against slavery because they understood that the Union couldn't be wouldn't constructed sure. if uh, and Southern states wouldn't join right. if, if it were possible. So I think that uh, they would not have expected racial equality yeah. at any time. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, they may we might have more racial equality today than they might even have expected. That would be my guess, but I think that they they never got as far as thinking about what the future of race relations would be. Would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Louise, I, I, I'm wondering. I, I hear a lot of people. Say and and one of the people in our in our open uh, in our in our sort of street chats uh, talked about this idea of losing America that that people talk about well we're losing the country and you do hear that I think more frequently from white Americans uh, than others or or wealthy Americans than others uh, but but that also seems to to reflect a. a uh, quintessentially American idea, this idea that there is some, uh, the expectation that's, uh, the expectation that's attached to that, to that phrase. I think um, what the main concern is the faltering of upward mobility. Um, you know, and you just, in the opening, you're talking about your, your own family's mobility and expansion of opportunity. This was true for my family, too. My grandparents came over, worked in steel mills. My sisters were the first ones to go to college. Here I am. Right. And, you know, two generations, a college professor. And we're all, you know, especially the middle class is concerned about the same opportunities for their children. Um, we've done some really great things. We've, you know, poverty for elderly has declined to about 10% of the country. But children's poverty has skyrocketed, and especially in the you know Detroit area and in Michigan as a whole, when you've got 25% of your kids in poverty sure. in the region, and you know half or 60% in the city, um, we should be concerned about children's poverty. Yeah. Mobility in general, we've lost the race for that. Other countries have, um, including even Britain, which is an old class structure. Places like Denmark, Scandinavia, have much more upward mobility, partly because they've been able to keep college education free. Yeah. I think the high cost of college education. The second piece is parents are concerned about their own futures and their kids' futures because there's a loss of entry-level jobs that are pay a living wage and the loss of pensions. Right. So I think that there's this sense that we don't, we can't, you know, while we believe in meritocracy, we don't actually see the steps that that's actually happening. Right. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and we're talking today about America. What is it? What is it to you? What does it mean to you? And what do you think of it? Uh, and I'm talking with Mark Crewman, who's the director of the Center for the Study of Citizenship and a professor of history at Wayne State University, and Louise Jazerski, who's an associate professor in social relations and and policy and comparative cultures and politics at James Madison College 
at Michigan State University. If you want to join the conversation, tell us, what does America mean to you? What do you think about America? Is it about opportunity? Is it about the same opportunity that your parents had or that your grandparents had? Or is there more opportunity? Now, call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Greg in Fraser. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Um, I was just calling in because I, I feel that America is a land of opportunity, but I just think it's so vitally important that, that people participate in that opportunity. Um, a lot of times people seem to say they feel like they're losing uh, uh, control of the government and everything, but they don't participate in that. And there is that opportunity to part- participate. And I, I really believe that if you want to make changes for the uh, government and have a better America, you need to participate in the process. And, and that, that's kind of lost today because they, I believe they stopped teaching government in, in like high school. And uh, uh, people aren't aware of the process. They need to get more involved in it and they can feel like this is more their America. Okay. Thank you for that call. Greg, uh, Mark, this that gets sort of to this idea of citizenship, which is one of the areas that you study, how we define that uh, and how that defines this country, perhaps differently from others. Uh, absolutely. I think that uh, Greg's point is uh, extremely well taken and that for citizens to understand the process and to participate Uh, I would borrow from uh, a corporate name, and that is in the United States, governments are us. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I think that that— It's defined by how we decide to participate in it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Tom in Detroit, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning to all of you. You know what? This is the greatest place in the world to live. Um, My father, who's gone to glory— uh, he was before, born before you, Steve. He, he didn't serve in the military, but I'm the first one in my immediate family to go, go to college and graduate. Uh-huh. Okay? I mean, opportunities, opportunities now are better than what they were for him. And contrary to what Jeff Daniels said in that commercial, this is the greatest country on earth. All right? And there is room for, for mobility and all that kind of stuff. And... Um, you know, people just have to go out and seize the opportunity, you know, like entrepreneurship or either uh, if you don't want to go that route. Education is the key because, I mean, education will get you through doors that, you know, you couldn't get through if you didn't have one. Sure. And, and Tom, do you feel like uh, the, the access to things like education, the access to, to opportunity to make your life better than what your parents' uh, life was like, do you, do you feel like that's more evenly distributed now than before? I, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's steadily going up, okay, and it's getting out of the reach of some people. But, I mean, you know, you've got to go for it. You know, you can't sit there, ah, it costs too much. Listen, I'm not going to close with this. They says if you think education is uh, is is expensive, try ignorance. Yeah, right. It's it's more <laughs> expensive. That's right. Uh, thank you for that call, Tom. Uh, Louise, uh, Tom raises an, an interesting point. I think this is very common among African Americans of his generation, and to some degree mine. That that there there was this explosion in uh, opportunity, especially through education, uh, post civil rights movement that created a black middle class that I think was not 
as possible before. Uh, but I think I, what I hear you saying is that uh, those opportunities are fraying, the rungs of that ladder are being shattered, and that uh, the generations coming now or into the future will will struggle more to maintain that opportunity uh, than, than, than we did. Well, you have to understand that, and we, I don't think a lot of uh, Michiganders understand that Detroit was the crucible of upward mobility and opportunity, especially for African Americans. The entrepreneurship of African Americans in Detroit is phenomenal. Sure. We had a larger black middle class than almost any other place. Maybe Atlanta, we have a lot of professionals, but African Americans in Detroit own businesses. Uh, they've become professionals. They've had ag- you know, access to. Tr- um, higher education. But there were a lot of institutional components in place there. So you had access to manufacturing jobs that were well-paying. You had expansion of government, local, state government, where African-Americans found opportunity in like the post office, working in county government, working in administration, teaching. And all of those are are shrinking, especially jobs in local government, especially since the last since the recession, those jobs have been cut like crazy. So the kinds of traditional places where African-Americans have found opportunity, that's gone. But of course, there's new opportunity in higher, you know, with more education. So we have more African-Americans in engineering and healthcare and um, those are the kinds of business and those are the kind of growing sectors. Right. Uh, Let's go back to the phones. Mark in Rochester Hills. Welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I think one of the greatest things about our country um, in coming up to this 4th of July is just the power of the vote. You know, I think it makes us unique in the way that an individual can still get out there and make a difference. And if you don't like the way things are happening, you know, you can become involved, and the vote is just one of the things that let us, lets us do that. And when my daughters turned 18, that was one of the first things I had them go do was become, uh, you know, go get their voters registration. Uh, I made it always a very strong point in our household that you can change things if you become involved, and you can become involved through the power of voting. Right. I, that makes us a very, you know, uh, put this as one of the greatest countries in the world, uh, you know. Okay, thank you for that call, Mark. Uh, Mark, the 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 idea that that one person's vote matters and can make a difference. Uh, I, I hear a lot of pushback against that uh, w- with some of the cynicism that that we hear uh, in the in the political narrative and the cultural narrative right now. But uh, that other Mark, the the Mark in Rochester Hill, seems still very much to believe. Uh, in that in that value, which is again inherently uh, part of part of this country, I think that uh, first of all we we need to place it in perspective. That is, participation in elections is much much higher in Western Europe than it is than in, it is in, in the United States. Sure. Uh, nevertheless, his uh, Mark, great name, Mark, uh, <laughs> your Uh, Your point about the ability of a vote to make a difference, it seems to me that uh, the presidential election of 2000 uh, demonstrated very clearly that even on a national scale, a few votes uh, do make a difference. Absolutely. 
500 votes or so in Florida to determine the outcome of that election. And, and look at black voting in, uh, in the American South after 1965. Voting has, it's very clear that the, uh, the South is, is changed, but also not changed. But black voters now and black elected officials were unimaginable uh, before 1965. Sure. We're going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to continue this conversation when we come back. Ted and Holly, David and St. Clair Shores, stay on the line. We're going to get to your calls. You can also participate on Facebook and on Twitter with the hashtag Detroit Today. Stay with us. What's your America? We'll be back on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here today. What is your ideal America? Is it a pipe dream or is it a reality? We're talking about that all hour today. And my guests are Mark Kruman, who's the director of the Center for Study of Citizenship and a professor of history at, the, at Wayne State University, and Louise Jazerski, who's an associate professor in social relations and policy and comparative cultures and politics at James Madison College at Michigan State University. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, tell us what your America is. What's the opportunity like for you? What do you see as defining this country and its culture today versus uh, versus when you were a kid or when your parents were children? Call us at 313-577-1019. It's 313-577-1019. Joyce in Wayne County, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello? Yes. Oh, my, my grandfather was born during slavery, and when uh, 19, I mean, 1865 came, he was given a college um, opportunity by a church group that found him as an orphan, and he was in the South. Unfortunately, having um, attended some college, he did not have many opportunities there. My dad came to Detroit um, to escape that situation, and he found the factory situation, and I'm a college graduate myself. Um, I think that when it comes to opportunity, that's something that has kind of um, gone up and down. I mean, now that we have more uh, machines doing work, I, I think that people have to become educated in a different way. I find it fascinating also that when the Statue of Liberty was uh, produced and it said, give us your tired and your poor, we already had ours because we had our slaves and they were, um, you know, a poor, tired, poor, and not free. Sure. I find that so ironic. And right now I think it would be good if we had more chances to understand um, how the government works. Um, for example, we as voters hire our representatives by voting for them, but um, there's so many things I feel that I would like to know about them, like, for example, their salaries, um, when they get paid, what benefits they get, um, what are their budgets for their offices, and, you know, whether or not they have uh, good skills when it comes to working with others to make decisions about money, because those uh, seem to be the decisions that take up so much of their right. time. Right. Uh, thank you for that call. Uh, Joyce, uh, uh, 
Mark, uh, t- tell me, you know, th- this idea, again, this idea of progress across generations seems to come across in almost everybody's comment about it, whether it's expressed as optimism or whether it's expressed as continuing frustration. I think uh, for Joyce there, it's probably a little of both. It, it sounded like uh, like a little of both, uh, the, but it also spoke to the the maybe surprising fact that with the founding of colleges to educate African Americans after freedom, that there were measures of opportunity, but the the movement of uh, Joyce's father to Detroit. Uh, was clearly uh, a a breakthrough, but a breakthrough that that confronted a tremendous amount of racism right, along right. the way. Yeah. Uh, I want to read a quick uh, Facebook comment that we've gotten from Ed. He says, My ideal America would have fewer laws, fewer taxes, fewer trade packs, fewer wars, and fewer politicians. This would result in more freedom for all Americans. Louise, uh, that's an interesting idea, this idea of sort of uh, unshackling uh, the American experience uh, in in a figurative way, of course, uh, saying that that more sort of unfettered freedom is key to opportunity is what I think Ed is trying to say. Yeah, it's a long-standing debate in the United States about how big government should be, and it goes <laughs> right. back to the Federalist Papers, which I have to teach freshmen. It's hard. <laughs> so we have had an expansion of government in part because people have demanded it from below. Yes. Uh, first of all, we had movements. You know, We were just celebrating the anniversary of the Magna Carta to expand citizenship rights, but that wasn't enough. We also needed to expand political rights. So then we had to move towards extending the vote and control over local government, et cetera, across the board. And after that, we also thought we should have more social rights. Can we increase access to that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? So we're expanding social rights. There's nobody that's going to guarantee that except the government. Right. And so we've actually demanded more government. Uh, social movements have demanded more government from below. Right. And yet and yet individually. For protections. Right. But, and, and yet individually, you hear a lot of people say, we have too much government government is in my way. Uh, Ronald Reagan's uh, famous line, uh, government is not about solving the cov- uh, the problem. Government is the problem. I mean, there's been a real surge in the last probably 30 years, I think, uh, of this, this idea of politics convened around the idea that government is in the way. Yeah, government and, you know, bureaucracy as a whole, um, is disdained by those of us who love liberty and especially libertarians. Yeah. But like I like to say, sometimes bureaucracy is a good thing. Um, my students could not imagine how to register for classes once upon a time when they all had to go down into the pit and stand in line for three days to get a class. Right. The more bureaucracy and the more regulation, it makes it easier. Right, right. Now, and, and along with a little technology, of course. Yeah, for sure, sure. <laughs> right. Uh, let's go to the phones again. Carol in Southfield, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Um, as a senior citizen now, who's been a long-time activist since the 60s, uh-huh. what I have come to treasure is free speech, uh, such as this program. Yeah. <laughs> All right. these comments that I've been listening to, sure. and everybody has been very polite and well-spoken, so that's a factor. But if this liberty was taken away from us, 
then I think we would really be in trouble as countries we see where people are not allowed to voice their opinion. And so for you, uh, Carol, is that how you define America? That's the, the, the one principle that you feel like we, we rely on the most to define ourselves? That's what I have learned at this stage in my life that I have appreciated, and I would hope people would use this free speech to write letters to the editor, post on Facebook and social media. But if I may just add what my hope is, is by using our free speech and listening to programs like this, yeah, well, we <laughs> would actually learn from each other Yeah, yeah. And be enlightened. Thank you very much for that call. Carol, let's go to David in St. Clair Shores. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hey. Steven. Hi. Uh, you know, it's uh, a lovely comment uh, from the last caller. Uh, it took so long to get through this morning to even get on the air, which was <laughs> a great thing. I like it. There's a lot of people participating. Yeah. Um, just very quickly, uh, the one caller from Frazier uh, made mention about, uh, kind of alluded to apathy and the lack of participation. And I think that's definitely a real thing, but I think it's because, it's not because everybody doesn't care. I think it's because the system has been shown to be so flawed in how we can buy and sell elections and, you know, majorly undermine politicians by cutting their funding with the, you know, introduce, introduction of super, fa- super PACs, Post Citizens United. Uh, I think that's really uh, played a toll on people's willingness to get involved because they feel like it doesn't matter anyway. Right. They can't, they can't tie up the TVs. They can't, you know, dictate the content that, you know, sells so many of the masses. And Tom's right. You know, we, we do have a great country. I, I, I'm critical of it and don't believe it's the best country in the world anymore, but I'm only critical because I think that we can be, I, I do believe that we can still be so great. Which is um, which is itself an American quality, right? The idea that things can or will get better is part of what is sort of baked into the the political infrastructure here, isn't it? I, I totally agree with you, and I I think that we should never be complacent. I just don't see the measurable data. Only we talked. I heard the discussion when I tuned in was really on upward mobility, and sure. we totally lack that in every measurable. Uh, content. So, you know, facts, we're all entitled to our own opinions, we're not entitled to our own facts. And (laughs) the facts just are. And we, we lack in that. So yeah, I'll I'll be critical of our country, but it's because I think that we can be better. Okay. Thank you for that call, David. Mark, this is a, what the frustration that David is expressing is also something that dates back to the, the founding, the idea that money and its influence would overwhelm individual voices in the, in the political structure. I would actually uh, disagree slightly. I I don't think that there was an expectation or a fear of money that that was that really didn't begin to emerge until after the Civil War, that they uh, at the time of the Constitution, drafting the Constitution, there was an assumption of elite governance. Right. Right. And <laughs> that, right, which is why, for instance, uh, until I think the 16th Amendment, we didn't have direct election of U.S. senators, correct? Uh, until the 20th century. Right. Uh, senators <laughs> were elected by state legislatures. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that, but that influence of money is something that we talk about a lot now, and that frustrates the idea that individuals can have the influence that, that perhaps they're supposed to. Uh, 
the growing sense that money shapes politics is is not new. It it certainly was a piece of the Republican-Democratic conflict toward the end of the 19th century, uh, but certainly the Supreme Court has unleashed the uh, the power of money and sure. efforts to constrain and regulate spending and politics that went into place after Watergate are clearly being uh, destroyed. Being rolled back, yes, right. no question. Let's go to Ali and Dearborn. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, I was calling, um, not to be negative, but to talk about my perception of America today. And it's unfortunate that it's the discrepancy, the, the big discrepancy between the rich and the poor, the social economic clash, and that that's what's consumed me more recently. Uh huh. And and for you, what does that what does that say about America? What does that tell you about what kind of place this is? Well, I guess for me, underlining factor is I feel that there is the opportunity that, that we've heard from other folks <clears throat> here, but it's just not an equal opportunity. If you look at certain geographical regions, you'll see an abundance of minorities concentrated in, in a certain location, and unfortunately, the resources available there, whether it's public education, et cetera, make it a little bit more difficult to climb out of that hole, and that's that's the perception I'd like to work towards getting better, and it's it's been my America more recently than not. Right. Uh, thank you for that call, Ali. Uh, Louise Jazerski, uh, something you said a little earlier uh, in the conversation, I think, uh, comes to mind w- with, with Ali's call, which is that other countries are now outpacing us in terms of social mobi- or upward mobility. In other words, uh, it's more possible in other countries to move up from the economic station to which you're born than it is here. Can you talk some more about that? Yeah, there's actually been a lot of studies in the last 10 years at Harvard, at uh, comparative income institutes. There's been major studies across the board to look at chances for upward mobility. Do you have a occupation with um, greater prestige than your parents did? Do you have a job with more income than your parents did? Do you have opportunity to have higher education? And in these comparative s- studies, it's shown that we, the United States has now been outpaced by places like the UK, like uh, Western Europe and Northern Europe, yeah. across the, you know, truly. Uh, and some of that is about, uh, I, I've actually done some reading on that myself, some of that is about the choices that were made in Western Europe after the war, after the Second World War, is what, in my understanding, that, that the investment there in, in things that were about unlocking potential uh, and, and assuring opportunity contrasted with the way we invested here in, in America. Do you find that to be true? Well, they've always had higher taxes, and that's one thing Americans don't like. But <laughs> they've had higher taxes that allow for free university or very small fees at university. They've invested in public infrastructure. And I can't not um, state strongly enough that public infrastructure, especially mass transportation, sure allows people to, you know, maybe live at home but go to college in a nearby city in Europe or uh, to, you know, travel to a different region where you can find a job. I mean, there's nothing more stark in this contrast to the lack of opportunity 
you know, by transportation right. in the Detroit area, if you want a job, you have to be out in the suburbs and you have to own a car. And 25% of Detroiters don't own a car. So if you ha- have that kind of infrastructure, then that allows for geographic mobility that allows for economic mobility. Right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about what America is. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you on this 4th of July? Stay with us. Wally in Detroit, Joe in Ypsilanti. The phones are full today. We will get to you on Detroit Today after this break. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. We are talking today about what your ideal America is. Is it a pipe dream, or is it a reality? And let's talk a little bit, let's hear right now a little bit more about what listeners had to say about what their America is. I'm Carmen Bradfield Gamlin. I'm from Detroit, live in Southfield. What's my America? It is... um, Family, hundreds of years of family, recipes, and church every Sunday morning. My name is Paul Gallagher, and I'm from Lincoln Park, Michigan. My America, I think we could sum it up best by um, where I'm standing right now. I'm in the middle of Wayne State's campus, and when I think of what this country means to me, um, it's providing those opportunities to better ourselves and to be able to live that, that, that quality of life that higher education would provide. Daniel Gamlin, I'm originally from Detroit. I live in Southfield now. And uh, my America is complicated. It's uh, progressive in many ways, but uh, very backwards in other ways. You know, it's, uh, it's complicated, it's a dichotomy in itself. Sometimes it can be beautiful and other times it can be horrible. I'm Michelle, I'm from Shelby Township, and my America is a place where everybody gets along and we get along with other countries and it's not quite lived up to my expectations yet but i'm hoping someday we'll get there (laughs) this is detroit today on 1019 wdet i want to thank pam Connolly and veronica walrat our associate producers for collecting those comments from listeners. Uh, my guests today are Mark Kruman, who's the director of the Center for the Study of Citizenship and a professor of history at Wayne State University, and Louise Jazerski, who's an associate professor, social relations and policy and comparative cultures and politics at James Madison College in Michigan State Uni- at Michigan State University. And we're talking about what is America uh, coming up to this 4th of July? What does it mean to you? How do you define it. Uh, You want to call and join the conversation, 313-577-1019. It's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Ted in Holly. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Mr. Henderson. And to your guests, Mark and Louise, um, in my ideal America, I have a passport. The passport allows me to participate in the economy without prejudice of any kind. No one will look at me and decide who I am, if I'm angry or not, and all of that kind of stuff. (laughs) The current passport is white-skinned in America. So white leaders need to get together and decide how we, if we are going to participate in this economy, how are we going to do it so that no one casts dispersions because we are black. Thank you very much for that call, Ted. Uh, Mark or Louise, I'll leave it to you to to respond to to what Ted said. I think that 
the that there's a certain amount of uh, fatalism there yeah. that uh, that I think is understandable, but at the same time, I think we should go back to the comments made earlier, which reflect on the importance of participation, because through participation, through engagement, not just in voting, but in civic organizations, that you have an opportunity to influence, to shape, to remake, to diversify leadership in ways that are beneficial to the country, to the economy, and to yeah. greater mobility. Yeah. Uh, Louise, how does that, that intersection of race and money or race and economic opportunity uh, define America right now from your perspective? There is a terrible experiment <laughs> in understanding how people feel about our country uh, given the Great Recession. African-Americans lost income, and they lost a lot of wealth. Yet, when, we, when um, people did surveys with African-Americans, uh -huh. I'm thinking especially about the State of the Dream uh, project uh -huh. that comes, they found African-Americans more optimistic. Even though they had less op economic opportunity, they were optimistic. Part of it comes from the fact that there were gains with... Uh, feeling better about political institutions, especially because of the election of President Obama. Mm -hmm. I, that's really struck me, uh, you know, that you can feel good about some things. And even though our material wealth might be eroding, we still feel like there's a chance in this country. And I would certainly underscore what Mark just said, that if if we participate in our local institutions, and this goes way back to Tocqueville's view of America, too. Sure. You know, the fact that what makes us Americans and what makes our democracy great is that we participate in our town hall, which was really Tocqueville's vision of this in the sort of New England town hall. But again, in our churches, in our, on our school boards, um, you know, going to local town meetings, uh, I think the local government makes us feel, or local institutions makes us feel more optimistic too. And makes Certainly you feel the, more connected, I think. And more connected, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that grounds us. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Mike in Chesterfield. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi there. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, my, uh, my view of America today is that it's still one of the best countries in the world. There are a few that kind of outrank us in certain other areas overall, but I believe the promise is still alive and well and especially everyone who comes or is born here, they still have that ambition to do whatever they want. And But I think our biggest challenge today is absolutism, which is no one's willing to compromise for the greater good on anything, and that everyone, we always say to have be open-minded, but I think everyone, once they have an idea, stick with it forever, even if the facts change. Right. No, thank you very much for that comment. Mike, uh, let's go to Joe in Ypsilanti. Welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that, in my opinion, progress has been made in America, but it's very much under the surface in general. Um, I mean, if we look at things such as discrimination today in the form of voter ID laws or uh, the slow erosion of workers' rights, 
for example, low overtime pay or lack of maternity care. And we see that there are a lot of under-the-surface things that are being done in America to halt progress. And so I wanted to ask your guests, uh, what, what other things do we see in the United States today that are under the surface, they're not on the books, but they're still halting progress and opportunity? Okay, Joe, thank you for that question. Mark or Louise, uh, do you have an answer for Joe? Well, I would say first that they're not under the surface. <laughs> they're very overt. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that the uh, debate about uh, voter ID laws is a very, a very public debate, and that one of the ways in which you can support or oppose it is to be engaged in the process. Sure, sure. But uh, but there are clear partisan connections to uh, issues of voting opportunity and voting suppression. Yeah. Uh, Louise? I think um, voting ID is a really important issue. Uh-huh. And, um, but I think that different communities take different takes on this. So I, because we live in such a segregated world, I think still... If you're a white suburbanite and you're looking around, you think, well, you know, things are pretty great. I don't know anybody who can't vote. But if you're in a community that doesn't have access to public transportation to get to your poll or you don't have a driver's license, you know, that's going to that's going to erode your chance to vote. So I think it's under the surface in part because lots of people don't see what life is like for other people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the problems. We don't see what you know, we can. I think free speech helps us bridge some of those gaps, but we aren't living each other's realities. Right, right. Uh, we've got about a minute left. I want to I want to close with Mark and Louise. Tell, you telling me in a, a line or two, what is your America? How do you define this country? Louise, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I think that... <laughs> tough question, right? <laughs> America is a really tough question. America has promise. We just have to keep fighting for it. Yeah. Okay, that's that's good, uh, Mark. Uh, how do you de- how do you define America? What is America to you? I think that it's a matter of uh, living up to our ideals. Yeah, that the uh, and we can, in fact, on as we approach July Fourth, uh, go back to the Declaration because so much uh, at the foundation of our values rests upon ideas of equality and freedom and that we have a responsibility to fulfill them. Yeah, and that if we just keep working, we can we can always go forward. That American optimism, right? <laughs> uh, I, I think we should always be trying to move forward. <laughs> be trying, forward. yeah, that's right. Okay, Mark, Mark Ruman uh, of Wayne State University, Louise Jazerski of Michigan State University, thank you for being here on, on Detroit Today. Thanks very much. That's going to do it for us this week on Detroit Today. We're we're going to enjoy the 4th tomorrow, and I hope you do too, and I hope you come back on Monday. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station.